0: So if you've got your manuals here, uh, we're on week nine, and we're going to look at um, a very simple thing this morning of, of how we can keep going and what we've started, all right? How we can keep going in sharing the good news of Jesus. Um, and I, I want to ask, again, start with a question. Uh, what, 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 would, what do you think would happen if uh, all of us suddenly decided that we weren't going to support the ministry of Jesus in the world anymore and in this local church? If we decided, no, it's too much hard work, let's just stop preaching about Jesus, um, what, what do you think would happen? Well, I, I think perhaps uh, the church would carry on for a period of time by, by its own sort of sense of me- momentum. It would carry on for a while, but eventually uh, things would begin to decrease, resources would, de- would decrease, and uh, over a period of time things would come to a grinding halt. And what I'm trying to encourage you, encourage you with this morning is that sometimes I think we can feel as Christians that we're just one little Christian trying to live our lives and uh, do the best that we can, but really what impact are we having in the community and um, in the nation? And we don't really think of ourselves as having a critical and a vital role to play in seeing the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to help you to think a little bit around that this morning and perhaps realize that you are critically important in the process of the gospel being shared as you live out your life. And I want to point you to um, a very simple thing uh, that uh, God uses ordinary people. And I know that you know this, but, but let me remind you of it again. God uses ordinary people like you and me with the gifts that we have to make a difference in the world, uh, through what we have, our time, our resources, and our spiritual gifts, to see the community transformed, and to see the nation transformed. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you go and read Paul's letters, most of Paul's letters end with greetings. And I find that fascinating. Why does Paul finish his letters by greeting a whole lot of people? So I've just chosen one letter this morning, just to illustrate what I'm talking about. If you turn in your Bibles, if you've got your Bibles to the end of Romans, for example, listen as Paul is writing this letter, what he says. I'm going to read a couple of verses, starting in verse 15. And uh, just listen for the names. Listen how many names there are that Paul mentions personally, right? Here we go. Just um, verse 15. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. A servant of the church at Gneri, however you say that, Gensaria, uh, that you welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she might need from you. She has been a patron of myself, uh, of many, and myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the whole church. In their house, greet Epeneus, who was the first convert of Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachius. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of uh, Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodinus. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked in the, hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asinocritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers who are with them. Greet Philegus Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet each other with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Isn't it fascinating? I counted this thirty names. People he names personally. Why does he do that? Why does the Holy Spirit record these names? Why does Paul mention them? Is it just that we can get fascinated about who they were and what they did? I think there's something of that in that. The church is made up of all sorts of different people with all sorts of gifts, and I think that's the point that Paul is trying to make, that ministry involves people. Ministry involves all different kinds of people from all different backgrounds, and everyone is critical to to seeing the gospel go forward. So I want to encourage you that you don't just see your life as one little Christian in the community trying to do your little thing and be a witness for Jesus, that you see your life as critically important to the gospel forcefully advancing as you live your life out loud in front of others powerfully demonstrating the love of Christ through your life. Come on now. This is what we are all called to do. We are all called to be messengers, ambassadors for Jesus. It's not just the preacher on a Sunday. It's not just me trying to motivate you to live your life. It's you living your life by the power of the Holy Spirit in a community that loves Jesus, that sees something of transformation come to your community, my community, this city, this nation. Christianity, by definition, is a community of believers, Called out ones who love Jesus and love each other, and I want to simply try and encourage you with that this morning. And I want to encourage you this morning, uh, uh, again, in your devotions. Go and read the ends of all the epistles. Go and read Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Romans, Thessalonians, Thessalonians, and see how many names you can you can see. There are there are dozens. There are hundreds. Paul knew the people, and they knew him. And there was a sense of community. We're in this together. We are being those that reach out with Christ's love through our lives into the community. It's very encouraging. And so what I want to look at this morning in the next half hour is how can we continue to maintain evangelism and an evangelistic uh, outward-looking mindset in our local church? How can we make these things that we've been looking at over the last eight weeks a natural part of the rhythm of our lives? a natural part of the way we think, Uh, that we stop evangelism becoming something that is just an event that we do occasionally, uh, rather that it it ceases to be that and it becomes something that is a part of our lives that we just live out in a natural way. Are you with me? I mean, Jesus said the the great command that Jesus left us is go into all the world and make disciples. And what I'm trying to say this morning is how can we continue with that process of learning to make disciples, every one of us, yeah? You know, I think sometimes we're tempted to think, well, it's the evangelist's job to get people saved. It's not my job. And I hope that your mind is beginning to trans- be transformed, that actually, no, it is our job. It is my job. It is your job to make disciples as we live our lives out loud for Christ. Are you with me? So how do we do that? I, I want to give us a couple of things that I think uh, will help us to maintain the sense of momentum in our lives. And the first is that we are convinced that the gospel really is the most important thing. (laughs) The gospel really is of first importance. Um, I love uh, 1 Corinthians 15, which uh, Paul says this, I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. And you know this church in Corinth, we've been looking at it a little bit. It was a, it was a very um, energetic church, but it was a very amateur church. It had lots of spiritual gifts, but they weren't being used in the right way. And Paul is constantly calling the church back to maturity. And he's reminding them. He's saying, this is the most important thing. Remember, the first thing that I did was that what I received from the other apostles. I've passed on to you. And this is the most important thing that I want to pass on to you, that Jesus died for your sins. And this message, this is the message you need to take above all. Above all else that you do, take this message to those that you know and love. That's what he's saying. And I want to put it to you that the gospel really is the most important thing that any church can be concerned with. And I want to put it to you, it's the, it's the thing that we are concerned with in this church. And nothing must eclipse the gospel as being of first importance in our lives and in the life of any church. And so we're trying to calibrate all of our lives and our ministry in this church around this message of Jesus saving sinners. Everything that we do must be filtered through that simple message. And so that's the second thing I want to say, is that we calibrate, we realign our lives around the centrality and the ministry of the gospel. Uh, it's good that we believe this message. It's good that we believe the gospel is the most important thing. But we've got to apply it in a very practical way in our lives. And that's what Paul does. If you read what Paul, how Paul writes in all of his letters, he always starts about the, with the big things. This is what Jesus has done for you. This is what Christ, in Christ you have all of these gifts. Ephesians, the first three chapters are all about what Jesus does, does. And the last three chapters are all about how we respond in the light of what Jesus has done, how we respond and live our lives. And sometimes the church gets the wrong way around. Too concerned about doing the stuff without, without remembering why we are doing the stuff in the first place. We are doing the stuff that we do because of what Christ has done For us there are implications of what Christ has done for us that we live out in our lives I love my wife is an implication of the gospel I am faithful to my wife is an implication of the gospel I'm not a racist that's an implication of the gospel because in Christ the color of my skin has got nothing to do with it the color the language that I speak has got nothing to do with it we are one in Christ when you realize you're one in Christ, inevitably racism must die in your life. It's no place anymore for a Christian to have any sense of racism in their lives. And we, got, we, we need to hold on to that in our, in our communities. <laughs> Come on now. All over the world, the right wing is saying we want to be nationalistic. We want to hang on to us, our thing, our thing, our thing, our culture. And I, I don't have a problem with different cultures, but when they become divisive, and they separate, and they tear down. No, we are one in Christ. No slave, no free, no Greek, no Jew, no black, no white, no South African, no Australian. We are one in Christ. Are you with me? Are you still glad you came this morning? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we are one in Christ. All of our lives has to be calibrated around the gospel. So it's very, it's very nice to say we want to be a gospel-centered church. Uh, we want to say all these things. But to live our lives and to calibrate around that thing is a different thing. And that's why we try to be intentional as a leadership team in this church to make our theological vision clear and to help you to see that our vision is around the gospel. Everything that we do with the kids, with worship, with outreach must be filtered through this message of Jesus and being practical about that. And so I want to say there are many wonderful things that we can be involved with. Kids ministry, social outreach, youth work, mercy ministry, going to Cambodia. These are all wonderful things. But unless they are connected to the gospel... The other things start to become of primary importance rather than the gospel. Are you with me? That's what I'm trying to say. And so if we, do, if, we don't, if we don't keep the gospel central, then children's ministry just becomes glorified child-minding. Just mind our children on a Sunday morning, please, so we can have a break. That's glorified child-minding. That's not gospel-centered ministry. No, when the, our children go upstairs, we want them to understand what Jesus has done for them. That's why we're getting them together, to help them understand the transforming grace of God for their own lives from a young age, that they can access it directly as sons and daughters at a young age, and they can begin to live it out. And yes, we do take care of them for an hour or two up there, but the main reason is not to take care of them. The main reason is to put the gospel into their lives. Are you with me? Or else last night, unless it's... it's, it's, it's um, linked into the gospel message and what we're doing in Cambodia is about the gospel, then last night just becomes a cool thing that we did and we got together as a community and we had fun if we lose the gospel. But if the gospel is in our hearts, no, the reason why we're doing all of this is to see the kingdom advance and people in Cambodia, their lives transformed by the power of Jesus because of your generosity and living it out. You've got to see your life connected to the gospel. Are you with me? I'm not angry, I'm just trying to inspire you this morning, that everything that we do is connected to the gospel. It must be connected, or else it just becomes disparate things. And We do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and we don't really know why we are doing what we are doing. You know, uh, our youth ministry, we don't want it just to become an alternative youth group that people can come to because it's a safe place. (laughs) I've heard people say that. Uh, we want our kids to go to youth group because, you know, at least we know what they get up to in youth group. You know, when they're out uh, in St. Albans somewhere at a club, I don't know what they're getting up to. I'd, ra- I'd rather them go to your youth group because at least I know what they're getting up to there. That's not the point. Uh, that, that's, a wonderful, that's a wonderful benefit, but it's not the main point. The main point is that we want to see our kids come to knowledge of Christ. Are you with me? Gospel has to keep on being of first importance Let's calibrate our lives around that. Thirdly, how can we, con- we, how can we continue to keep this sense of evangelism as we go forward? Well, we have to give ourselves as a church to being leaders and being people that model and train disciples. Every one of us. And I think all of what we, I've been trying to say in the last week is undermined unless we are living it out. And it's, it's very fine for me to preach these things, but there has to be a sense that I must be living this out for it to be real. There must be some evidence in my life that this is happening through my life for it to be real. And in the same way, as we, as we follow Jesus, as we are disciples of Jesus, it must be lived out in our lives in a tangible way. And I want to encourage you with that. Be bold, live courageously, live out loud in the workplace, kindly, but you can kindly speak to others of Jesus in a life-giving way in your workplace. I want to encourage you with that. We are all critical. Every single one of us is critical. And I want to encourage you, if you don't see yourself as a leader, you are a leader if you are mom or dad. You're already leading one person. And as you have another one, you are leading, well, actually two. If you're the husband, you're learning to lead your wife in a, God, God, a godly way. You're learning to lead your family. And if you're single and you're in relationship uh, it, 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 with anyone, you are leading someone else. Are you with me? All of us, we can't flunk, we can't flunk this test. We can't default and say, ah, oh, I've got no leadership in my life. Actually, you have. And I want to put it to you very kindly that if you don't lead, somebody else will. If you don't set the tone, somebody else will. I heard a conversation this week. A guy said, uh, we, we were in this meeting and we thought we'd do an experiment and, uh, and uh, no one led. And then we asked the people that were in the meeting, Well, who was leading? And they thought the person that was the obvious person. They weren't actually leading. It was someone else that was leading the meeting. I thought to myself, you know, I don't really get that in a very basic level because this is the thing. If you don't lead and you don't set the tone of that meeting, the one with the loudest voice will. (laughs) And sometimes the people with the loudest voices aren't the ones that you really want leading the meeting. You want people with wisdom. You want people with godly authority. You want people who love the kingdom to be leading and setting the tone. Are you with me? So don't, don't default and say, oh, I've got no leadership in my life. I'm just one of those quiet people. No, the influence that God has given you by the power of the Spirit in the gospel, use that in a positive way. Don't hold back. I'm not saying we go around, you know, kind of destroying meetings. I'm talking about, I'm talking about leading in a godly way, exerting influence in a godly way. Don't be shy to do that. Fourthly, uh, if we're going to carry on doing this, I've got, I've got another four things after this. We, we have to see our lives as stewardship. We have to understand that we are stewards. We've been stewarded with a, God has entrusted us with an amazing, amazing gift that we need to steward and pass on to other people. And I want to put it to you that the overwhelming message that I hear today in the world is that consumers are kings. The consumer is the king. Whatever the consumer wants, the consumer gets. Can I put it kindly to you this morning that the church is the one place where the consumer is not king? Jesus is king in this house. Yeah? Jesus is king in this house. And the church is about Him. The church is about Jesus. The church is about what He has called us to do. We are not consumers coming to get our thing. We are here to live out our lives in an unselfish way so that Jesus can be glorified. Are you with me? Instead of being served, we are called to serve others. Instead of demanding love, we are concerned to give love away because Jesus has first loved us. And so I put it to you that the Christian life is understanding that it's a life of stewardship. Uh, we, we understand that what we have is a gift to us. We don't own it. We've been entrusted with it for a season, and we are called to steward it and give it away and, and be faithful in discharging that duty. And, the, and one of the things that we are, we are called to steward in a loving way is this message that we have that Jesus is good news. We're called to steward that message. That's why God has given us life. That's why God has given us healthy relationships. He's given us influence. He's given us jobs. He's given us neighbors to to reach out to all for the purpose that we can be faithful in this thing of bringing glory to God and pointing others to the goodness of Jesus. I hope you can say amen to that. That's one of the things that we need to faithfully steward. And fifthly, I want to remind you that really this church is on a mission, right? It's on a mission. We are all on a mission, but this church is on a mission, and we need to see that our lives are, by definition, missionary. By definition, they, because we are in Christ, we are, we are opening ourselves to saying, Lord, use me to reach out to other people. Um, when we first planted uh, this church, it was fascinating to us because often people would come and say, oh, it's a really cool church, but you know, I want to establish church. You know, it's too much work to do. <laughs> I'd rather, I want to go to an established church where they already have a worship team and a kids' ministry and a this and a that. And it was fascinating to me in the early years. Why? Because every established church was once a church plant. Isn't that true? This church was once a church plant, and now it's a little bit more established. 17 years later, but what did it take? It took faithful people with a vision for the gospel to say, actually, well, God has called us together, and we're going to do this stuff faithfully. We're going to steward what God has given us to the best of our ability, so it can be something that reproduces itself. That's what it takes. And our dream is that we would see many, many churches planted out of this one, but anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. But that comes. We have to keep that, set, that attitude all the time of actually we are on mission together. We are on God's business. So this is not about us. This is about the Father and His kingdom and what He's called us to, and it's an outward focus all the time. Everything that we do is building for the future. And as, as I've said to you many times before, we exist in this church for the sake of the empty seats, for the people that are not yet here. That's why we are here because we want to see many sons come into the kingdom many daughters come into the kingdom amen and then uh, i want to say uh, the sixth way we can keep this momentum is to prioritize these things that i've been speaking about in our budget in our church budget Uh, and we're trying to do that we've got six thousand pounds set aside for cambodia isn't that a cool thing six thousand pounds come on that's wonderful seven and a half thousand us dollars that we can take with us and just bless that community and build and what a cool thing It needs to become a priority in our budget. If we say we're going to do it, well, then we need to show it in how we give. And I want to thank you for your generosity that you're showing that. Yes, it's a priority for us to see the kingdom come. Um, We want to continue to giving ourselves to training disciples. I love Ephesians. Uh, Paul, writing again, he says in in chapter 4, God gave some to be apostles, prophets, and evangelists shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the full knowledge of the son of god to mature manhood to the measure and the stature of the fullness of christ i love his language it's always expansive isn't it he's saying i want you to grow up i want you to get bigger i want you to be expand fullness all of jesus i want to see in you i love paul's language such an encouraging man and That you're not um, tossed this way and that by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. Again, listen to his expansive language. Every Christian, to grow up in every way into the head who is Jesus. And that's what God has called us to. There's a, he's called us to growth. He's called us to being big people, to... To growing up into the the head that is Christ that we can bring the kingdom as we live our lives Um, second lastly 20 minutes that's not bad how can we keep the sense of momentum in evangelism well we want to celebrate every single conversion we want to make a big deal of celebrating conversions all right because it is a miracle when someone gets saved, and so when I encourage you and say let's clap and celebrate, especially when we when someone gets saved, it's not that I'm just trying to be a cheerleader. It's actually that salvation is worth celebrating. It is. It is a miracle that God can reach into anyone's life and rip them out from their their uh, destiny that was not following Him, and and do something internally that transforms their lives and sets them on a on a different path completely. That is a miracle. That is worth celebrating. And so when I say let's celebrate every conversion, I really mean that. Let's clap and cheer and celebrate because it is a miracle and it doesn't just happen like that. How many of you know that? Of course you do when you're at work. How many of you can say that you've shared the gospel with people and, and dozens have got saved immediately? No? Because sometimes it takes a little bit more than that, and the Holy Spirit has to continue to work in people's lives. So when someone does get saved, let's celebrate with all of our hearts. And fortunately, over the last years, we have seen God in this church save a number of people, and we are, we are grateful for that. But let's, let's ask God for more, that the, the ones and twos and threes become tens and twenties and thirties. And that's going to come as you and I faithfully steward this message, live it out in a loving way, boldly, without compromise, simply declaring the goodness of Christ to everyone that we can. And we've looked at the ways that we do that. And lastly, I want to put it to you, ninthly, the, 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 the last kind of link in the chain of keeping up this momentum of how we can uh, keep evangelism at the center of all that we do is that we plant churches. And I want to encourage you, over the years, we've been going 17 years, uh, many of you might not not, uh, um, remember this even, but we have had one successful church plant out of this church. A couple planted from our church to Cairns in Australia, Angelo Diedrichs and his wife, Caroline. Do you remember any of you around? Yes, Zach still remembers them. That was many years ago now, but that church is still going. It's still prospering. It's a faithful beacon for the gospel in the northern part of Australia in Cairns. So if you ever go to uh, Cairns one day, you can visit Angelo and uh, Caroline's church, and it was planted from this one. We have had some other plants that didn't survive, all right? But let that not make us shrink back from planting. I want to encourage you, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to be part of a church plant and to see something grow from the very beginning. It's been a great privilege in our lives to see this church grow into what it is now. And I, I want to encourage you in the future, as we keep evangelism at the center, we want to see many churches planted out of this one. And that simply is because of what Jesus Said to us in Matthew 28: Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. And so, there's there's multiplication that is embedded into that command that Jesus gave. Go into all the world and multiply. There's something of of um, a fruitful family uh, has kids. That's part of a family, is it reproduces itself. And fruitful church com- communities, healthy church communities, over a period of time, need to reproduce themselves. And so I want to hold it up to you as a, a continuing goal for us as a church, that out of this one, we will plant many others. That the one that we've planted will become two, will become ten, will become twenty. As long as we have breath, we'll faithfully do those things that God has called us to do. Okay? And that's why you'll hear us say many, many times... We want to be a blessing to St. Albans, to Hertfordshire, to Europe, and to the ends of the earth. Why? Because Jesus said, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's how we learn to live the gospel out, on all those levels at the same time. And so, this is going to be part of our ongoing testimony that we can see the nation transformed as we faithfully do what God has called us to do. In relationship with many, many other churches that are doing the same thing. So this is our this is I want to finish with with this this morning. We have this wonderful stewardship of the gospel that we've been called to. Let every one of us play our part as faithful disciples of Jesus to obey what He's called us to do, not out of compulsion, but out of love, out of gratitude, in the light of all that Christ has done for us, that we live our lives in a way that honors. And pleases him. And when we started this course, we asked the question, what comes to your mind when you think about evangelism? Do you remember that? The very first session? And we had some videos up of people saying, Well, they thought evangelism was this and they felt this way about it or that way about it. Well, I hope by now, my my my, my hope is that when I ask that question again, you will at least be able to say, Evangelism, yep, that's my job. I know what I'm called to do. I'm called to steward the gospel. I'm called to play my part in living that out so that through my life, people can come to know Christ. And if that's what we've achieved over eight weeks, that's a noble thing. That's a good thing. If 150 or 250 people in this church can get motivated by that and live that out, that's good news for the kingdom because then the kingdom is going to multiply and we're going to see many come in as sons and daughters into the kingdom of of God. Amen? God bless you. Let's pray.